Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. And welcome to our special show. It's Tuesday, February 24th, and we're doing a special Brewer's Choice mobile recording from Hops Hill in uh, Clinton Hill, Brooklyn. It's a very cool place. They've got 12 beers on tap, and they've got spirits, and it's a great place. They've welcomed us in today. Got some great guests. Thanks to our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors, suppliers of world-class ales and lagers. So, some special guests have uh, all been part of this local uh, hop and grain and, and local beer movement. We're featuring some special beers today, many with uh, New York State grains and hops at the, uh, the Brewers' Choice event. So, Nico Kremitas, who's been on quite a few shows, uh, wrote a great article today in Edible Brooklyn uh, previewing uh, the Smash beers. We've also got Mike and Matt from Port Jeff. We haven't seen you in a while, but... Yeah, thanks for having us back, Jimmy. We appreciate it. I guess we've been waiting to come to New York City. Natalie and, and Matt Marty from our Farmhouse Brewing upstate. Good to see you there. Good to be here. So, it's a good show. We're getting ready for the event. You can hear the background noise. We're at Hot Hills right now. It's a full bar. People waiting to go over to our event. So, Nico, tell us about the article you wrote today. Give us a little background on the Smash Beers. Uh, so, the New York City Brewers Guild uh, chose three malts and three hops from New York State, and they had uh, about half of the guild members make a special beer from them. And uh, what I found most interesting was most of the beers were completely different from each other. I mean, it was, it was a great challenge. We're looking forward to trying them today. So what happened, they basically got the guild picked three different malts and three different hops, and each brewer made their own recipe. Yep, exactly. So we're going to look, look forward to tasting that today. So, big story. You, know, you guys, Natalie and Marty. I was going to call you Natalie Matrazzo, Marty Matrazzo. You guys are farmhouse brewery, farmhouse malt. Tell us what you guys do, because you're kind of one of that, that new breed. Well, we, uh, we started out a while ago with the malt house, knowing that in the end we were going to have a brewery attached to it. Uh, so that's, we, we work with farmers. Natalie works with the farmers and uh, gets the grain to us. We get raw grain. We malt it, uh, which gets into a state where you make beer with it. And we, we make, a, as much, uh, make our beer as close to 100% New York State as possible. Uh, we work with farmers, uh, malt farmers, I mean uh, grain farmers as well as hop farmers from around the state. I know a few years ago there really wasn't many opportunities to get grains and malts from New York State. It was, it was How difficult. has that changed? Uh, I think word has gotten out. Cornell University has done quite a bit of work in recruiting and educating and preparing farmers for this uh, revolution uh, called craft beer and sourcing local ingredients. And I have invested a lot of time in learning how to talk the farmer language and recruiting them. And it's still a difficult crop to grow. I, I recently heard you talking to Dietrich Gehring about this. Um, there, it's fraught with difficulties, uh, it, but experienced grain growers grow a beautiful product. And uh, and we buy once a year. We buy a lot of uh, grain, and we malt it all year, um, and use as much of it as we can in our own beers, uh, and sell to a small number of other breweries that we have a supply for. That's great. And, and Mike and Matt, Mike, we, we had you on a few years ago from Port Jeff Brewing. What's it like out on Long Island in terms of getting malts and hops from New York? Well, I think, uh, you know, in the past couple of years we've had a, a revolution really with the hops. There's there's three prominent growers uh, on Long Island, and there's now a, a gentleman who's going to start a malt house, which Natalie and I were just speaking about, Brian Zimmerman, uh, is interested in, in getting a malt house going, which is great. I mean, malt, I think, on Long Island is a little difficult because of just real estate. So, when you know, you're, 
even if you're talking about just being a malt house and not necessarily growing the grain in Long Island, you're still talking about a high, you know, a high cost of starting the business. And so I think that's one of the things that Brian's wrestling with. But um, the reality is that he can get malts uh, or the grain specifically from New York and bring it to Long Island to malt it. And that's, that's really what he's looking to do. So I know that there's, uh, and Natalie, you can probably talk better to this point, but I know that there is grain that's being produced in New York that's not necessarily being malted in New York yes. at the moment. And the reason for that is there's just not right. enough maltsters or the capacity for it. And as a brewer, I'd like to see more of that. I mean, we would love to incorporate um, New York malts into our products. We've been able to do that with some of the hops, but the malts seem to be uh, the thing that's... That, it's a that's bottleneck. Absorbed. Yeah, yeah, totally. So you're saying that until there's more malt houses, more farmers don't want to grow grain. Well, there are four or five malt houses currently in operation. We're, we're all quite small uh, micro malt houses compared to, you know, the large, there's a, quite a big gap between micro malt houses and the really big guys. Valley Malt in Massachusetts make amazing malt. Uh, they've taught us a lot of what we know. They're great people. Uh, but they buy, they buy quite a bit of grain from New York State uh, growers. Uh, the other malt houses in New York State, uh, all of us pretty much buy as, as much as we can of our supply from New York State farmers. Uh, this was the first year there was a surplus of malting barley that was not scooped up in state, uh, which which is impressive given it's only been three years we've been promoting promoting this new crop. So, so it, but it's also weather dependent, disease pressure dependent. Let's talk about the beer that, that you brought, and we'll, we'll taste three beers tonight for the show. So this is Boondock. It's a 100% New York State grown ingredients, uh, both the malt and the, the hops are New York. It's uh, wild yeast fermented, so it has a little bit of funk going on. And, uh, Just a tad. It's actually... It's, it's pretty nice. clean. It's, it's really nice. Primary yeah. fermented with uh, with uh, the Dirty Dozen from East Coast, La- East Coast Yeast. Okay. So it, it came up pretty clean, a little bit of funk. It's developing a little bit more as it gets older. We have uh, how, how old is this beer now? A month out of the ferment. Okay, so it potentially could... It'll be doing more. Yeah, we, we put half of the half of it. We split and we, it's sitting in our, our tasting room floor, staying warm, and and uh, in, in kegs and aging in kegs. The other half we're serving fresh. Okay, uh, right out of the. It's great fresh. Yeah, yeah it's pretty good. I like it too. It's kind of when I think of farmhouse, but, but farm made farmhouse beers. This is what I expect. Yeah, it's a little dirty, a little uh, bright. Rustic. Wheat. Yeah, it's rustic looking. Yeah. What do you think, Nico? I mean, you've been farming beer now for, I don't know how many years, between Long Island Pulse and Edible Brooklyn and Yankee Brew News and now Brooklyn Magazine. I mean, do you see a big change going on? With that? Yeah, even in the last few years, I think, like they said, with the uh, with the malt makers, um, I think that is a bottleneck, and hopefully that'll start to change. And I, I actually had heard about uh, Brian Zimmerman trying to do that. I think he launched a Kickstarter project, right? He did. And, and we met with him last week. He came in. Um, really what he was trying to establish, uh, he met with, with us at Port Chef, but he also met, I know he met with GSB and, and he met with a couple of the other brewers on Long Island. I think really his focus at this point was to figure out you know, if I do this, what do you need, or what's going to make the most sense for me to to malt? You know, uh, because you know, obviously, that's he wants to keep it local and kind of he understands, I think, to some degree that there's you know the, the issue or one of the issues with malt is is delivery or shipping, and so he understands that if he's bringing it to the island, he kind of wants it to stay there because he's going to be able to have a competitive advantage 
to some degree with keeping the shipping costs down. And so for him to be able to bring in the right grains and, and malt what we need on Long Island or what we use is, is kind of the focus that he was going yeah, Absolutely. We've had a hard time finding people who would ship to Long Island. You right. Know, trying to find, we have a pallet and we want to ship it, and they're like, well, I don't know. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's expensive. Give, it, it is expensive. They'll give you a price, you know, on the phone, and they're like, oh, wait, you're in Long Island? Well, that's a bridge. You're, you know, it's te- technically you're in, like, a third-world country, even though it's next to New York. But it's rightfully so, because you got to go over a bridge, and then you have to deal with Long Islanders and the traffic in Long Island. So there's a tax for that. Yeah. yeah. I think that's why the British lost the Revolutionary War. Or something. Right. <laughs> the Hudson, New York City, right? That's right. Had something to do with that. Well, Nico, you're talking about Long Island. Uh, you, you introduced me to many Long Island brewers a few years ago, including Mike from Port Jeff. So, um, what's going on out there? I mean, there's so many great brewers on Long Island. Yeah, um, actually, uh, kind of a uh, like an in-house, I guess if you would call it an incubator brewery, just opened up in Farmingdale, which I find really interesting. Out of a taste of Long Island, it's kind of like a commercial kitchen. So, about four small batch breweries. Just opened out of there. Yeah, and I know today at the New York City Brewers Choice from Long Island, we have Port Jeff, we have Rocky Point slash Secret Engine, um, we have Greenport Harbor. Yeah. Not sure who else. We, we were pretty tight. Everybody's pretty mustache. Much. mustache. Yeah, mustache. I saw Lori as we walked over here. Lori and Matt asked me where I parked, and I said I took the train, and she just gave me a disgusted look and <laughs> it kept going. But um, they're doing quite well on Long Island too, so it's good to see. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of nano activity on Long Island right now, and uh, you know that's again you in Long Island. There's a lot of barriers to entry with regards to finding a building that's affordable that you can do a production business like that. And so, like Nico said. You have the Taste of Long Island, which you have Pool Boy, uh, Brewers Collective, 1949, or 1940s, I'm sorry, and, uh, and now I, I've heard Lithology is actually going to start there, too. And so uh, so there's a lot of activity. You have Barrage uh, in, in Long Island now, too, that's putting out some excellent beers, but it's all on a very, very small scale. So um, it's interesting to see how the landscape is going to, you know, if we're going to continue to see nanobreweries that do that I mean you talk about nanobreweries you have somebody like Barrier who I'm drinking the money IPA they're having an event here tonight they started as a one barrel system you know and, and basically grew into what they are now so it's, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with all the activity that you have uh, kind of in the works on the line what did you make for beer today? Um, we actually, so we copped out in a sense, and when I say that is, we we brought our beer Adina Cola, and the beer Adina Cola that is a, is actually a beer that we only make for Ruvo Restaurant. Um, it's a it's a beer that the owner of Ruvo Restaurant myself kind of conceived based off of beers that he liked. Um, we then turned it into kind of a New York beer. So we use some rye. Um, from Valley, and we also use all Cascade hops, uh, which is from Kinsella's Farm in Wading River. Here, one John. Yeah, yeah John. Actually, yeah, when, yeah we were, the first time I was on your show, it was John came on the sh- uh, the show with us when we did Surge Protector, and he was actually he had just finished his start, uh, Kickstarter campaign. Uh, now he has four years of growth in the field for his his hops, predominantly. Cheers. Cheers. Um, you can hear that. This is Hopsville. It's yeah. kind of packed right now. Um, people for Brewer's Choice are having this barrier 
Secret engine and uh, single cut top takeover all night. So people are going for Brewer's Choice back to up. So some people are going to COVID hole. I know that's one of your favorite. All the writers like Justin Kennedy is here, Josh Bernstein. I know Nika, you like it too. It's, yeah, I love the backyard. Is that in this neighborhood too? That's Crown Heights. Uh, it's in Crown Heights, so I mean, I guess you could walk over, but not in this temperature right now. Yeah, I'll tell you one reason where we're at this venue on 5.5 where we have is it's right next door to Kelly Taylor's brewery, Kelso Heartland uh, Greenpoint Works. So. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff going on out here. Um, Marty, you, let's drink one more beer before our break so you can get oriented. Sure, this is our... It's my first time trying a beer. Yeah, this this is our post hole. It's a, a double IPA. All the hops come from one hop yard in uh, Unadilla. So it's uh, two pounds of hops per barrel, all Cascade and Centennial. It turned out to be not very uh, bitter. I think the, the East Coast hops tend to have a, a less bittering units uh, so it turns out real smooth, although you get a lot of hop flavor from it. Now you, so you actually grew these hops, too? No, these are, are one of the farmers we work with in Unadilla. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I missed that. So, like, as a farmhouse brewery, that means what, trying to buy... So, we, yeah, we produce what we can, and from what we don't produce, we buy from local farmers. Uh, so we all the hops in all our beer are all New York State hops, and all the base malt in our beer is all New York State grown base malt. Uh, so it, it takes it takes a lot for us to want to even do a double IPA. There's only so many hops to be bought every year, right? And to, and to do two pounds per barrel is is using a lot of our, our, our what we have. Uh, and you know you, you start biting your fingernails, wondering what if, what if we're going to run out of hops in July before right. the next harvest comes out. You know. And so these are all holy hops. These this particular batch is. Yeah, we made one batch before this that featured a different hop yard that we worked with that were pelletized. This one was all whole cone, and it was a pain. It was six inches deep of, of cones at the bottom of the brew right, because you're losing a lot of the volume of your liquid to yeah. the absorption in that holy. Yeah. The Absolutely. one thing that I've seen with New York hops that is starting to change is that um, people are buying pelletizers, which is a good thing because, as you know, on, we, we only have a seven-barrel system, but using holy hops can be an issue because we don't really want to add them into early editions because they're going to clog our heat exchanger. Yeah, we generally use them mostly for aroma hops. Um, basically what I'll do is use the mash ton as a hop pack. Uh, I can put as many hops as I want in at that point. It doesn't clog up you know, the kettle, the heat exchanger, um, and we can use a whole ton of them too so we can really get that pop character in our beer. So, but the addition of having uh, hop growers that have a pelletizer yeah. definitely helps. So. Yeah, that's huge. And there's a, there's a couple players in, in upstate that they're doing it. There's there's one large one in, in Utadilla, Cooperstown area, and, and then there's another one out in... Uh, Oneana. Well, the Rochester is thinking of that, that okay. does the pelletizing. Right. Where, where is Newark Valley? I mean, because we kind of know Long Island New York City, but it's in the middle of nowhere. I know we're Albany. We're in the middle of nowhere. I know we're about thirty minutes south east of Ithaca. Ah, all right. About thirty minute drive from Binghamton. Ithaca is gorgeous. It must be right. Yeah, because we're in Cortland. It's about half an hour from Cortland, Ithaca, Elmira, in in Binghamton. New York Valley's claim to fame is we have a we have a satellite now. Oh. We have a stoplight. You have a stoplight. Yes. A fully functioning stoplight, yes. or is it just a blinking red or yellow? No, that's the next town north of us that has the blinking red one. Right. Just, they're old school. Yeah. yeah nice. well, that's what I expect when I hear that someone's called a farmhouse brewery. So, all right, we're going to take a few minutes break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. we 
You're listening to Kill Me in the Summertime by Dead Stars. Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're doing a special beer week show at Hopso in Clinton Hill, uh, Brooklyn. Before we go over to the New York City Brewers' Choice, we got uh, Nico Kermitis, a great writer, Natalie and Marty from Farmhouse Brewery, and Mike and Matt from Port Jeff out on uh, Long Island. So the new guys, Matt, you're working for, for Port Jeff. You know, I first met Mike a few years ago, and you guys have grown. So how long have you been working at the brewery, and, and what are some of the jobs that you do? Well, I've been I've been at the brewery for a little over a year now. Uh, Mike brought me up from Pennsylvania, where I've been uh, brewing for Iron Hill Brewery for about seven years. Uh, came up, and you know, it's pretty much been my life since then. Uh, brewing's a pretty consuming uh, job, you know, especially if, if you're, you know, trying to grow and get bigger. Um, you know, I figure I'm in there 60 hours a week on average, and when I'm not there, that's what I'm thinking about. You know, it, it's pretty much a consuming sort of thing, uh, but I love it. You know, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else at this point. Mike, when you started, how many guys were working for you? Uh, one, but <laughs> no. When I started, you know, when, when we opened our doors, there was really three of us. Uh, there was myself and another guy doing the brewing, and then we had some interns that kind of found their way into positions. Um, Matt is—I've known Matt for for probably almost ten years, maybe a little longer than that now. Uh, back in my life in Pennsylvania, uh, and when I was going to school, when I went to brew school at Siebel, I actually went down to Matt. On multiple occasions at, at Iron Hill to kind of do like practicum stuff to see see a real system work other than my ten gallon system at home. So he's a little bit of a mentor and at the same time uh, brews awesome beer. So I somehow convinced him to come down here, and uh, and, and it's been good. So now we have uh, Matt leads a team of of three guys in the brew house, and then uh, you know we have a host of characters that help us out in other ends of the spectrum too whether it's marketing or or uh, the tasting room or doing events and things like that so it's really grown to be really a family um i i'm blessed in the fact that we have people that are very passionate about beer and i think like their jobs so uh you really couldn't ask for much more than that so let's let's pour your beer let's, let's taste that what do you want to try you want to try the the beer with Gonzalez hops in it yeah right. something new york state something that you have at the event tonight. let's do that so this is the beer di nicole and like i said uh this beer is a beer that we conceived with with my uh my friend joe di nicola who owns ruvo restaurants in del fuego and La Tavola, which is they're all located in Long Island. He came to me and said, listen, I want a house beer. And uh, this was actually two years ago. He said uh, during the holidays, he's like, I want a beer that uh, we can pour that we only have. And he's like, I want to give a dollar of every pint that I sell of this beer just to make somebody's holidays happy. So that's how it started. And uh, so when we when we first conceived it, he said, well, here's I like Brooklyn Lager. I like Anchor Steam. And I like uh, Bengali Tiger. <laughs> so, 
So I said, listen, Joe, none of, the three of those have absolutely nothing in common. But what we came up with was, uh, was this beer, which is a basically, we call it a rye PA. So it's a, it's a pale ale with rye in it. And uh, it has Cascade hops from John Kinsella's hop farm. Um, and so initially we were using Cascade hops from, from the Pacific Northwest. And then once I started getting some really nice hops from John, we just transferred it straight over to just John's hops. So John's actually coming in and brewed with us a few times, too. Um, you know, he, he was looking to gain his own knowledge about brewing, so we would have him come in. And I believe he's brewed this beer a couple times with us now. He's actually brought uh, he brewed the hops this in. one, yeah. Uh, and then you know I let him put the hops in. <laughs> yeah. So he grew the hops and put the hops in. So it's nice because you get a little cereal uh, action from the rye. Um, but it's for me, you know, the the hops initially from Long Island were they they were hops, they were flowers and what have you. But they didn't really have the oomph that you get as far as the lupulin and the alpha acids and things that we would look for as brewers. And now, um, especially this past year, the harvest, I've seen the hops actually like really magnificent hops coming out of Long Island. So we're extremely excited and proud of the hop growers we have. Not just John, but people like. Um, like North Shore Hops and uh, Justin Iwanowski Farms, like all these guys are actually producing some, some really good quality strains of hops. So. Uh, cheers, man. It's great beer. You can taste the ride, definitely. Absolutely. Good stuff. And so, Natalie, tell us more about So, you were involved in the New York State Governor's uh, Craft Beer Working Group. I think I met you on that one. Along with you, my sweet. And I heard you speak at the, the New York the Wine Beer Spirits. Cider Summit last year. Yes, I, I've been very humbly invited to provide a bit of a voice for the malt house component of the farm brewery legislation. Um, there are so many issues still to work out with this particular license. Uh, of concern right now is uh, an absolute 180 in availability of New York State malt. Uh, we were uh, dry as a bone for the first couple years, and now we have a surplus in some of the malt houses of ready-to-go-based malt. And we're, we're trying to tease out what is this about. Is it a non-compliance issue? Is it a price issue? Is it a quality issue? And what is the SLA prepared to, to do as an answer to this? So far, they have uh, sent us all a very nice letter reminding us of our moral and legal commitment to this, this legislation, as well as hints that there may be some auditing in the future. Uh, but if you do the numbers, the number of farm breweries and the, and the amount of, of malt that's being bought from New York State, the numbers don't match, and we just don't know why that is yet. So I'm there to kind of help them figure that out. Well, that's good. I think you've got a couple years to work that out, don't you? We do. But this is just from last year. Remember New York, New York uh, City Brewers Choice last year? I think we had almost 20 uh, brewers that used some type of, of New York rain malt. Right. And now we're at almost 40. And the smash beer with the New York City guys is a beer entirely made from uh, New York rain and hops. But for you, I mean... You guys at, at Farmers, that's what you do. Exclusive. That's what we do. Yeah, yeah that's, so you that's, are the smash. You're the brewery. smash brewery. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah, we have. You know, like I said, we don't make the specialty malts. So some of our darker beers, we don't make the the, the uh, black malt and special bees. So we still buy that. So we, most of our beers are between 95 percent to one hundred percent New York State grown ingredients. Right, and those in, those those specialty malts typically only are at, at most ten percent of the right. ingredients. Yeah. So. Yeah, so you're, you're, you're smash central over there. <laughs> I think from a brewer's standpoint, as far as um, 
You know, I remember Brewer's Choice last year when they said, okay, make a, make a beer with all New York ingredients, and they gave us the list of what was available. As a brewer looking at it, it was like, uh, what are we going to make? You know? So it was difficult. I think that's changed in the fact that there's, there's more malting going on and there's more hops available. Um, that are quality hops. That's, I mean, that's there's, yeah, there's and, key in both of those sides of the statement. Yeah, and to, what you were saying about Long Island, we see that upstate as well. The, right. the quality hops are coming along. They're nice. They got great flavor. Right. And I particularly like the fact that what we've got this year was lower in alpha acids, but I, I like that. You know, you can add a lot more hop flavor without adding adding the bitterness. Right. Better for aromatics. Yeah. We we lucked out extremely with our fresh hop ale this year. Um, we were brewing our fresh hop ale. We were literally at the evening of collecting the hops, you know, to mash in the, the next day. And Justin from Greenport Harbor showed up. Uh, be, he had called me earlier that day, and he said, listen, I have like 20 pounds of hops that I just picked. Do you want to use them? I said, we already have like 80 pounds from Kinsella, <laughs> but yes, we'll take them and we'll use them. And he showed up, and he happened to have another 20 pounds from North Fork hops. So I was like... All right, we'll use them all. But the the aromatics, we it, it ended up being Chinook, uh, Cascade, Nugget, Nugget, and Samantanum. We we actually went to Conzella's farm the day we brewed, and I was lucky enough to help John cut the binds down, and then run them through his machine and brought them to the brewery. So it was literally forty five minutes from when the plants were harvested to when it went in the beer. I right. Mean, you know, I would have loved to have brought that today, but, you know, a beer like that doesn't last very long. Right. It's something that you really want to drink, you know, as fresh as it is, you want to drink it immediately. And, you know, a, a hoppy beer like that that's all about the aromatics and those flavors deteriorates rather quickly. So that's something you want to drink fast. Yeah, public service announcement. If you have a bottle of that fresh hop ale, um, drink it now. And don't, <laughs> drink, don't, drink don't it anticipate. Yeah, yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't anticipate a lot. <laughs> what about for you guys? I mean, do you... You've got these farmhouse sales, maybe local ingredients. I mean, just tell us more. I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by you guys. Probably the name. First, you're a, you're a, are you a malt house or you're a brewery? We started out, you know, it all started as a, a home brew that went crazy. We right? first started planting 10 hops, and then 10 became... 50 hops and 50 hops became 250 hops and then it became 500 hops. I've cut him off. And then, uh, and then you know, I was like, well, what's the next level of difficulty with home brewing? And I started malting my own grain. And uh, and that's, that's where we started malting our own grain and we used our own hops and it was kind of, we were making a smash home brew. And... Uh, we just, you know, decided I was I was getting laid off and needed to either go back to school and did learn more IT stuff or take control of our future. And we started the malt house. We had we had some dairy bulk tanks from uh, the farm that we inherited, and we, we retrofitted those to to malt in and found a warehouse. And one thing led to another. Like I said, it was a bad. It was a hobby that went crazy. <laughs> uh, I was still gainfully employed while we were malting as a malt house and. Uh, as the time we got close to being laid off, we started the brewery side, and, and that's one thing. Like I said, one thing led to you at all. You give it, give it mouse a cookie. You give it, give a brewer a hot plant. Your poster boys from New York State beer. Right. That sounds like. It. Now, do you guys have a tasting room up there? Do you? We, we do. We the do. tasting room's in a wego. Cool. Uh, we, we are, it turns out Newark Valley's a dry town. Yeah. Now, if I had to go out on a limb, I would say that you guys have a farm brewery license. Is that, yes. yes. Only. Okay. Yeah. We yes. don't have any other licenses. Right. We have 21 taps, which is an insane number of taps. Wow. For our little town, and we fill them up. We have three old-fashioned sodas that we brew. 
brew at the brewery, uh, and we have at least eight to ten of our own beers on tap, which is easy to do when you have a small brew system. And then guest taps of other farm breweries and farm cideries, and we're we're packed every weekend. It's an exciting venture. Uh, at least once a week, I ask you if you're crazy, and what is your answer? Yes, <laughs> that'd be crazy. And we'll talk to you in a couple of years and see if you're still doing it. Yes, but we'll definitely this summer when we go up to Cooperstown, in Belgium comes to Cooperstown. We'll definitely stop off. At least yeah, for taste sure. Yeah. I don't think you want to visit the brewery. I think we just want to... Yeah, just want to go to the tap. You've seen one, you've seen them all. Come to the tap room, have some beer. Yeah, we, right. we have the most ironic brewery around. As soon as it comes out, the fermenter goes in kegs and gets taken to the tap room, so there's no actual beer to drink at the brewery. Gotcha. Now, are you guys... Up, you're only open on the weekends, or are you open Monday uh, through Wednesday Sunday? Wednesday through Sunday. Okay. And the first thing you see when you walk through the door is our Mastiff laying on a hammock. Okay. Do. <laughs> Which would Sal. be hard not to see. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we, you walk in, and it's, it. uh, <laughs> it's it's a family. We we love on you, and we sample as as uh, graciously as we can. And we're just thankful for the amount of support. We're the only brewery in the county, so there isn't a lot of competition. Uh, imagine if we had lost. <laughs> so, so we're doing okay. Nice. Guys, let's make another toast here. We're drinking the Port Jeff special beer. Um, sometimes it's about a loss because it's like you're all such pioneers. I mean, like Mike, you started a small brewery in a town on Long Island, and, and Natalie and Marty, you guys have started a farmhouse brewery. I mean, you guys are successful in some way, and your beer is great. So you must be feeling pretty good, right? Yeah. We're just as tired and stressed <laughs> as we all probably are. We are what, feeling what, great. What are the worries that you have? You know. I mean, some people wake up and they worry if they turn off the gas or, you know, is, is there someone outside your door and your dog's barking? I mean, as, as uh, brewery owners, what kind of worries do you have when you wake I, up in the middle of the night? As I walked into the show today, I bumped into a gentleman who had a hat on and I looked over and it was Evan from Barrier. And, and uh, I said, how are you doing? And he's like, good. And he said, how are you doing? And I said, good. <laughs> and, and, uh... I was like, yeah, I'm living the uh, the dream. Like, but so the, I think the reality is, is you know, for both of us, at least Evan and I, we have kids that keep us going, and you know, it's as successful as we are. Um, you know, we're we're successful. I'm I'm able to make a living off of doing what I love to do, which I think is fabulous. That's what America's built on, you know. But my children definitely keep me going. The fact that my kid needs shoes means that we need to have a bottle release. The, the fact that, you know, but, and, and above and beyond that, now it's to the point where, you know, I employ nine to ten people that I also, they, they have families and they rely on the brewery. So to make sure that things tick and for them and make sure they're happy and they're fulfilling their thing, I mean, they're part of the dream. So that's very important to us and I think that's what keeps us all going like I said before we're a family even though we're not we're pretty much a family because we're in it together if we succeed we succeed if we don't then then we drink Budweiser I don't know what about you guys I mean Marty and Natalie I worry about the product. <laughs> I, yeah, we don't heat or cool the our brewery, so this time of year we were, our chiller has a heating coil in it, and that's running that heater to heat the beer. And uh, we learned early on that, that that heating up your your chiller lines that have been cold all summer stirs up a lot of muck, and, and we had a lot of clogged valves and clogged uh, uh, strainers. 
So, you know, I, I, when I wake up in the middle of the night, I grab my phone and, and, and look at my fermenter temperatures and make sure nothing's running, like getting too cold or getting too hot. Uh, that's what I get stressed about. I worry about, about uh, the cost of capital improvements and growing too quickly. I think slow and steady wins the race. Marty is the gas and I'm the brake. And luckily he has me because uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I try to temper the spending a bit. You could go crazy, and I think the biggest mistake any brewery makes initially is overcapitalizing, and you're chasing a loan that you just you feel like you can't pay off. Right. I would agree I with that, that completely. Very yeah. much. I've tried to make it a point to, to never uh, have a line of credit. Like, in other words... I, if we're going to get something, I'm able to pay for it. And it, my, some of my vendors hate it because they're like, you know, I, I won't order things because I don't have the money. I only pay for stuff that I have money for. And I think that's, I would say, as a lesson, and I'm I'm still a very novice and virgin brewer to some degree, but never get anything that you can't pay for because you can't overextend yourself at that point. All right. This is our second segment. We're recording at Pops Hill in Brooklyn, a, a part of New York City Beer Week. Be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Listening to Cool Boys by Sleepies. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're doing a special show at Hops Hill in Clinton Hill, uh, Brooklyn, right before the New York City Brewers' Choice is part of the New York Beer Week. So we've got some great guests here tonight. Mike and Matt from Port Jeff Brewery, Nico Kremitis, our intrepid beer writer, and Marty and Natalie from Crumb House Brewing Upstate. So we're talking about your biggest fears and worries and things like that as, as brewers. So, um, Michael, you're just talking about your fears that you would get overextended on credit. Yeah, I mean, well... Like, and Natalie and I just talked about it at the break a little bit. You know, there's obviously to start something, you're, you're gonna you're gonna put money into it, and you're gonna have some sort of uh, you know some sort of source of credit. But in my eyes, to keep that down as far as you can is is gonna be a blessing to you because it, it helps you grow organically. It says you know. It, what that means is if you have a good month and you make a, a few extra hundred bucks, maybe that's when you go buy new kegs or that's when you go buy the thing that you were kind of looking at in the in the corner store, you know, through the window. It's like, hey, I want a hot back. It's like, well, you don't buy the hot back until you have the money to buy the hot back. And I think if you, you know, if you put hard work into it, those things happen, and then you don't have to worry about chasing that payment. I'm not going to say that I don't have payments for things. That's not what I'm talking about. But, you know, I guess keeping things in perspective, and really what Natalie said about growing organically is, is, uh, is huge, you know. So you've seen... 
you've seen uh, larger uh, breweries fail or have issues because they overextend on, on what they're doing uh, with with regards to yeah. expansion. And so, you know, for us at Port Jeff, I mean, we yes, we have a seven-barrel brew house. Yes, we have some other tanks at a couple other breweries, and, and we're happy doing that. But that a lot of that is to validate, can we do the next step? And when we're able to do the next step, let's go with the well, next I step. I think you're doing it right. Thanks. You know? <laughs> so, Natalie, you guys, go back on yeah. your, yes. your fears. So is he rare to have? What is something that you want to buy, Marty, but that she's telling you you can't afford? Well, let me count the things. <laughs> I, can, yeah, I, I, I have do, a list too. Yeah, I do try to keep you know, keep in mind what, what's toys and what's what do I need? You know, and, and a car hat jacket. Luckily, it takes yeah. two signatures. Generally. Yeah. <laughs> so we we would like uh, you know more cakes so we can we can distribute more. Uh, and it rolled into bottling soon, so it's you know, those are two big things that are on the cusp of that happening right now. And now we're drinking your cider. This is our cider, yeah. So this cider is it's dried out completely. Uh, it has some dry Willamette hops in it, and it came from the the cider actually came from Indian Lather Farms, some Dieter Gehring that you had on a few weeks ago. Uh, so it's it's really nice cider. It's it's tart and sweet. Uh, it worked out really well. Uh, I, I have celiac disease, which is very unfortunate being very deep brewer. So As I, a maltster? Yes. Um, yeah. The maltster's wife. The maltster's wife. That's my curse. So that's how she humors um, so me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out here and let you know that gluten-free beer is called cider and wine. It's called uh, cider. cider and wine. Uh, I have not tried a gluten-free beer that was was uh, drinkable as a celiac, um, and maybe that's unique to me. So Marty wanted to have something on the menu for me, so we created this, and it's called Trellis, no residual sweetness. It's a huge hit at the brewery. Our bottleneck with this particular uh, product is we can't get enough in-state juice. So when Dietrich called and wanted to do a trade, we were all over it, and very excited. So he gave you the cider, and then you... What did you do? Uh, and we, we traded for malt. We malt uh, some grains that he brings us. So you, took, you took hard cider from Dietrich? Uh, so we took fresh pressed fresh cider press and traded it for, for malt, basically. That's fantabulous. Yeah. This is really, this <laughs> is really it's, good. It's awesome. Yeah, I think what you said, you noted really quick that there's not a residual sweetness. And with a lot of the ciders that are available... There's that residual sweetness, and Matt and I would get into into an argument about dryness, but it's the right amount of dry. So yeah, it worked out well. Yeah, thank you. It sure is. Yeah, I almost feel like I just bit into like a nice tart apple. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, that, that, that comes from the apples. His blend is really nice with that. You get nice enough tartness in there to do that. That's beautifully crafted. How many beers are you serving today at New York City Brewers Choice? We just we brought two in sixtals, and we brought a six pack of growlers that you know like this that. The under the table beers for people to taste. Uh, the two that we have next door in, in Sixtals is a, uh, a Live On, which is a 100% New York State uh, pale ale, and a uh, Barn Burner, which is a, a Belgian Double, which is a 95% New York State grown. Oak barrel aged. Oak aged Belgian Double. So we, we take uh, local honey, make our own Belgian candy syrup with that first. So we add honey right to the boil kettle and cook that down before while we're, we're mashing, and then we mash out on top of that. So it's we heat it up till it's like a hard candy stage. Uh, it's black and caramelized. That adds a lot of the raisin and molasses flavors that are in there. Add the beer to that, and then after it's done fermenting, it sits on oak for a few weeks until we just the right amount of vanilla and oak comes through. So jump me to the next step. So for New York ingredients, you know, you have water, malt, and hops. What about yeast? 
I don't know if Nico was joking about it because the smash beers are New York Malt and Hops. Didn't you say, why doesn't it have New York East? Well, I, I wrote an article on, actually, I think they're friends of yours, Plan B Brewery, yeah. and uh, one of the conversations I had with Evan, uh, who is co-owner of that brewery upstate in Fishkill, was, um, is it a truly New York-grown uh, beer or all-New York beer if the yeast is from somewhere else? And, um, you know, he cultivates a lot of his own yeast strains, and he believes that, you know, the yeast needs to be from, I guess, that area to be considered a local beer. Or at least yeah. found in the area. Yeah, yeah well, God right. bless him. Yeah, yeah. I, that's really awesome. He takes 100% beer and makes it, I don't know, 101% land. And, uh, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it goes above and beyond. And that, that is so awesome. His beers are great. And, and the fact that, you know, he, everything but the malt he, he harvests on his farm. And, and including the yeast, so that that is right. that is really cool. That's a great farm brewery right there. That's that's a that's a slippery slope though too, because as you're harvesting yeast locally, you know you can harvest all sorts of things that you may not want, or maybe spoilers, or maybe yeast that show up back end that were very resilient, you know, to the alcohol, and then then they erupt and start to do some other things. So. God bless him for for taking that mentality, uh, or, or taking that approach. Really, the mentality is great. The approach is risky, I think, um, but it works. There's definitely yeast that 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 are available in in our airspace that we can use that will ferment alcohol or ferment to alcohol. So. Yeah, they didn't even know yeast existed until the 1800s. I mean, right. all beer was made with God is good, right? Which was, you know, they would scrape a little bit of the foam off the previous beer, throw it into the next batch, and it would ferment. Like they didn't even know what what it was. It was making beer, you know, and, and right. they didn't even know beer was a living organism. It was just, you know, I think Louis Pasteur discovered yeast in the, in the 1800s, and from there it's what all say, God is good. Is that God is good is what it was called. They just, you know, it was God created the beer. And, you know, beer really is a living thing. You know, every time you drink a beer, it was the creation of a living organism that made that beer. You know, so you almost have to treat it as such. You have to give it care and, you know, make sure that it grows in, into what you want it to grow into. You know, I, we really do our hardest to keep New York East out of our beer. To be honest. <laughs> we have a very controlled environment that, you know, we want exactly the ingredients we put in scientifically to create the beer that we want to create. Right, yeah, because we're looking for a certain flavor profile. We just talked about that today, actually. Yeah. When inoculating a batch with yeast, we did that right before we came. We were talking about, you know, we close off the doors of the brewery and do everything we can to create the least disruption pro- possible so that when we open the fermenter, only what we want. Yeah. I've uh, actually learned I can hold my breath for over a minute because I hold my <laughs> breath every time I crop yeast because I don't even want to breathe on it. You know, I, I, t- I take every step I possibly can to make sure that the only yeast in that beer is the yeast that I want to get in that beer. Yeah, right. You open a really can of worms. With your farmhouse ales and your ciders, you're also using controlled yeast? Yeah, so, yeah, and it's even more dangerous and scary for us because we're malting right in the same space that we're right. brewing in and so we have just Lacto, tons of, yeah, yeah. Of, of wild yeast in the air uh, so we do have a, we have a big exhaust fan and we turn the big exhaust fan on and, it, and it's running the whole time we're making beer and then when we get time to pitch these we turn it off and same thing kind of let things yeah. settle out and, and then hope that there's not right we hope for the best and luckily we've been, we've been lucky so we're in a little bit uh, of a similar situation our mill room is about three feet from one of our fermenters yeah. so it's it's all there you got to be super careful and super protective of it 
But let's jump to another thing. Since you guys are local breweries, what about spent grain? We, there was a talk last year that there might be some taxes or some regulations. Yeah. Well, but tell us, like, generally, how much spent grain do you guys produce, and what do you do with it, and what does it cost you guys? We actually we give it away. So we have a, a, a farmer who's both a, a pig and dairy farmer and, and chickens. So he he comes and picks up all our spent grain. All our, uh, our, our root combs, so when we make malt, we knock the roots off and separate those from the seed. So he comes and picks up a, a couple bushels of those every time we make malt, and then he picks up, you know, yeast. Spent, he takes our spent yeast and uh, cooks that and feeds that to his animals as well. This past weekend, his wife dropped off like uh, three hams, three and hams some and bacon on the bacon. Nice. back porch. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty sweet deal. So you guys have the exact opposite deal that we have. Yeah, we because have, we have no cattle farms or anything on Long Island because the real estate's so high. So we actually have to dispose of most of our spent grain. Mm. Although um, my girlfriend Suzanne and I are caretakers of a historic property on Long Island, and we have animals there that we're able to, to you know repurpose that grain for so we have a about a 30 percent you know ratio of, of spent grain for those animals uh which is nice to repurpose some of it but you know there's only so much we can do out on long island because yeah. i mean yeah. there's cattle farming on long island is not going to make you any money right whatsoever so that's, well, that's no, where we want and, to trouble and we're ma- you know we're probably producing somewhere in the neighborhood of three thousand pounds of spent grain per week and matt's taking home like 10. 50. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we actually looked at a couple different uh, options as far as being able to use it as re- reusable fuel. Yep. So, in other words, taking it, uh, extracting the moisture out of it and making like basically like fuel logs out of it to repower the brewery. And it's still something we're looking at, but it, at our scale, it's, it's not yet where it needs to be to make it. Yeah, you know. Alaska Brewing does that. I, I think right. I, I got to wonder if you get like a one percent net gain out of you know, right. the energy yeah. you spend drying it out and then pelletizing it, and, and that's then just using it. that to file a bo- fire a boiler. You know, is there a net gain there? At all? Drying right. it out is really the hard part. That's where the FDA tried to step in last year and make all brewers dry their grain before giving it to farmers, which right. is nearly impossible, especially when you get on the bigger scales and you're looking at breweries that dry a thousand plus pounds of grain daily. Right. I mean, the space you need to do that alone is incredible, you know, and, you know, as long as it gets to the animals quickly, there's no problem with the grain. What was the result? Uh, the result yeah. was they ended up pulling out because they realized they were about to mess up one of the best barters going on in America. Yeah. Yeah. So... It, it, they they tried to stick their feet in it, and and they probably are still nosing around. But the reality is, what they I I think what they uncovered was, hey, there's a lot of farmers that that got a little PO'd about yeah, it, yeah. It's and a lot of brewers too. It was a very it's one of those natural barter interactions. It's a symbiotic that just works. Yeah, yeah. Right. right. And they yeah. wanted to the farmers to treat all it. food that goes to the animal like like. Like uh, pet food, so that's right. So it'd be dried right. down, can never be touched by human hands. And even that, part of that was even where if a farmer gives another farmer a bale of hay, that bale of hay can never touch the ground. Right. And it's you know it's, you're giving it to a cow who's eating grass right down to the, the dirt, but yeah. the, the hay can't a, touch the ground. I have a know? little anecdotal story that's relevant to this. I like is your story. My, uh, <laughs> my my farmer's wife uh, sent a text out uh, Saturday morning early, you know, saying we're going to be dropping some ham and bacon off in the back porch. 
Um, and she said, you know, I, I have to thank you guys again for the amount of grain you give me because uh, our checkbook's thankful because this weekend we had to buy a new washer and dryer. And that's expensive, and you save us so much money. Uh, she said, they say the cows come literally come running when they see the totes come out. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I was delivering it one day, and they have a, a, a Jenny, you know, a donkey that came down and was, like, pushing me away to get to the... Yeah. <laughs> she couldn't get to it quick enough. They love it. Yeah. Um, and rightfully so. Yeah. It's actually an acquired taste, just like beer is for some people. Like, the, when you initially give the animals the grain, they kind of turn their nose away until they taste it. And then it, they're sold. It's like they're, candy. They're immediately sold, yeah. Right. right. I'm glad we talked about that, because I know that was a big deal last year. And uh, what else are we going to talk about? we got a few minutes left. I would love to say that that's definitely something about being up in the country. I mean, you have that access to farmers, so you need that swap. I mean, the first time I ever experienced it when I was in Amsterdam years ago, and there's a, a local brewery downtown, the, the Egg Brewery, Brewery Taj, and they send their spent grain across the harbor to a, a sheep farmer, and then he would make these sheep's milk camembert and send it back to them. So I think there's a poss- possibility of, of higher-end, you know, trade if, if you're making sheep's milk or something else, too. I have one thing I can bring up that has been uh, very uh, enlightening to me. At our tap room, we've been open since June of last year. I can honestly say we have as many women as men that come in who are dedicated to craft and local and have, have been dying to come see us. I'm, and I don't even know how to say thank you enough. I would say ditto to that, that definitely. Yeah, yeah com- completely. We see the same thing in our in our tasting room. So one would I, so I may say that more men stick around longer than they should, but in reality, the customership tends to be a pretty fair 50 yeah. and, we, and we try to cater to everybody too. We make such a variety of beers. We make light beers, we make dark beers. I mean right now we're drinking a, a apple brandy barrel aged barley wine. You know we'll do everything from that to a blueberry wheat beer. So we, we try to cover like every you know, prism of the entire drinking Nick, what did you want to say? I saw you oh yeah, I I was just going to say that, you know, Mike crack open another beer, so to talk about that so this is our Cold North Wind the Cold North Wind is a beer that I ended up making uh, as I was a home brewer one night I got home and I didn't have the ingredients that I needed to make a beer that I wanted so I grabbed everything that I had and I put it all in the mash tun and I, fortunately enough, I wrote it down, and that ended up being our cold north wind, which the only thing I could characterize it as is a barley wine. Um, so we made this barley wine earlier this year and put it in an apple brandy barrel, which is kind of a special release for us. We have it at the brewery uh, in 22-ounce bottles, and that's what we're drinking. So it's the really apple brandy, yeah, it's, it's awesome, actually. Thanks. I can sit here smelling all night long. Yeah, <laughs> it's got a nice candy quality oh, yeah. to it. and uh, it great. Not too, not too boozy. It's good. So so we like it, and we love being on Beer Sessions Radio. Love you guys. We're going to close it out thanks to our host here, Hops Hill, in Clinton Hill in uh, Brooklyn. It's getting loud here because we're getting ready to go over to New York City Brewers Choice around the corner. I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors who have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to Nico, Mike, Matt, Natalie, and Marty for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Maggie Sidon and Justin Kennedy, who are also here at Hop Hill, and to our engineer, Jack Inslee. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Heritage Radio Network is a member-supported nonprofit organization broadcasting over 30 live shows a week. To learn more and donate, visit our website or connect with us on iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram for more. Thanks for listening.